We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Life in Colorado. I'm Mark Howington, and with me, a very special guest, Dr. Ted Pauline. And I'm going to ask you right off the bat, doctor, as we talk about the fact that Denver County and some surrounding counties, because of the increase in cases in COVID, especially Denver has gone to a level three, which is high risk, and they put on some more restrictions in terms of our gathering, in terms of wearing masks, in terms of limiting uh, capacity at restaurants and other gatherings. So I thought it would be appropriate for this Life in Colorado program to talk about that and to get your take on it. But before we get your take on it, we need to know who you are and what makes you qualified to talk about this information. So, Dr. Ted Pauline, tell us about your background and, and what makes you qualified to speak about COVID. Sure, yes. Um, well, I... Uh have a PhD and a medical degree. My PhD was in chemistry, did a lot of uh, basic science research in molecular biology, uh, lots of research looking at gene structure and gene regulation. And then uh, I went to medical school a little bit later in life, in my mid-30s, and pursued a medical specialty in internal medicine and also clinical informatics. Clinical informatics is the use of computer information technology in the delivery of healthcare. So I also, I saw patients and I did lots of research on using uh, the data in medicine to help understand how to improve the delivery of healthcare. So a lot of research on the basic science end and in the, in the clinical realm. So when you see reports about COVID, obviously you know how to weed through perhaps some of the valid sources and maybe not so valid sources. Am I right there? Uh, Yes. Uh, So there's a, you know, you have to look at where the source of information comes from, uh, who's doing it, how it's collected, how it's analyzed. And have, I have lots of experience in looking at that. Uh, So you're, you're right. There's a lot of things that are out on the internet that may or not be reliable and, there's a lot that has been published just in the last uh, six to nine months as this new uh, virus has overtaken the world. I'm speaking with Dr. Ted Pauline, and doctor, it's okay, so here we are. It has been a recent uh, spike in cases, at least according to uh, Mayor Hancock of Denver and also our Governor Polis. And I'm going to throw a few things out at you in terms of things that were said in their press conferences and just get your take on them. Bob McDonald is the uh, director of the Department of Public Health and Environment for Denver. He talked about how testing uh, positive cases are up. But, you know, one of the things that he talked about, and I want to run this by you as well, is that in my mind as a layman, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to speak to you as a doctor with this background, is that I'm thinking, okay, and in fact, Bob McDonald in this press conference addressed this. I'm thinking, okay, well, of course, numbers are going up because they're doing more testing. 
you know, months ago, we'll say seven, eight months ago, there wasn't a lot of testing available. And so, of course, positive cases weren't out there. But now it seems like there are testing centers and drive through centers all over the place. So, of course, numbers would go up. But he said, you know, I've heard that. And let me tell you why we are taking that number into account. He said the cumulative case rate has gone up. So, in other words, what he said was that, of course, yes, we're getting more positives, but we're also getting more negatives because more people are testing. And so what they are looking at then is the total percentage of those who get tested who are testing positive, and therefore they're saying the numbers are going up. So unpack that for us. Help us understand what they're talking about there. Sure. Uh, So early on in this uh, pandemic, back if we look back in the March, April, May time frame, we did did not have a lot of testing, like you just said. So uh, most of that was being diagnosed by uh, symptomatic cases coming in and uh, point of care testing. So it wasn't testing on a broad scale. It was only testing those patients that were very symptomatic and likely had COVID. So what we were... (laughs) doing there is testing kind of the tip of the iceberg back then. And we had a lot of cases back, uh, if we look in the March, April, May timeframe, because we were spiking then. And then we had another spike in mid-July, towards the end of July, where we were able to do more testing. And now, again, that has continued into the fall. So the testing rate uh, has changed. The number of people we're able to test has changed. But what we're seeing now is that this, this what they're calling a third wave or a third surge or a third spike, and we're being able to do a lot more testing, our testing positivity rate. So of all the people that got tested, get tested, uh, Colorado is probably around um, 4 to 5% of all the tests are positive. Whereas if we would go back into the springtime where we were only testing people that were symptomatic, our positivity rate was much, much higher than we were at like 10 or 12% because we were testing just those that were symptomatic. Yeah. And that's part of the, part of the reason for the question is because I'm, and again, Bob McDonald mentioned this, that people have come to him and said, well, of course the rates are going up because more people are being tested. So as you talked about your background in, in statistics and looking at how these numbers go, why then are the numbers that are reporting now a concern? Well, I think the concern now is there's, uh, even though the, the positivity rate is less, we're testing more people that are not symptomatic. So, of course, you expect that positivity rate to be a little less. The issue is what we've seen with the coronavirus is that its ability to spread, what we call its infectivity rate, is much higher than the flu. So that's what the concern is. So if we look at the flu, a person that has the flu and doesn't do any measures to stop its spread to another person, one infected person with the flu spreads it to about one to one and a half other people. And obviously you can't spread it, spread it to a half a person, but you get what I'm trying to say. It, it's, it's, you know, in that one to two people range of spreading it to someone else. Now let's compare it to coronavirus. One infected person with coronavirus 
on average, spreads it to three to six other people. Much, much higher rate then. Much higher rate of infectivity. So that's what the concern is, is what are we going to do with this high with this with this virus that has a higher infectivity rate if we don't take any measures to counter it well obviously more people are going to get infected and then the other concern that people are 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 worried about is well what about the seriousness of coronavirus versus that of flu and let me let me just pause for a moment and, yeah. and interject that part of I, I will call it water cooler talk for lack of a better term. But part of it, it seems like the public seems to be thinking, oh, well, yeah, there are serious cases. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, there's been talk of non-symptomatic cases. And so it almost seems that the pulse of the public seems to be that, OK, yeah, I know there are serious cases, but really, the vast majority of the cases are probably mild or non-symptomatic. What what are you seeing? Well, and that's and that's by and large true. I mean, if we look at the overall death rate for somebody that has COVID, and we could get into all of the questions about, well, are we sure that the confirmed cases are of death are really death due to COVID, or is it somebody who died of comorbidities with COVID? And I. And even if we even if we discount some of that uh, and just take the overall death rate of people even with COVID, it, in the United States, it's about two and a half percent. So of every hundred people that get COVID uh, with or without other comorbidities, about two and a half of them die. Now, if we look at Denver specifically, Denver's rate is identical to the average nationally, two two and a half people per hundred. Uh, If we look at like Douglas County, uh, it's about 1.6%. If we look at Larimer County, it's about 1.4%. And, but if we look at those that are in a higher risk category, and there's many people in a higher risk, it's not just the elderly, it's people that have chronic disease, the diabetes, people that are overweight because it creates an, a chronic inflammatory state in your body, uh, that those people have higher risk. If we look at those higher risk people, then the death rate is approaching 10 or 15% in some of those high risk categories. So now when you combine that with what we call the r not value, what we were just talking about earlier is infectivity rate. If I'm infected, I can pass it on to three to six other people. Well, what if those other people are in those high-risk groups? Then are, are we willing to accept the risk of 10% of those high-risk people dying of this disease? And that's what the concern is. is what, and you might say, well, I don't have contact with those other high-risk people. But when you're out at a supermarket, you don't know that person in the checkout line next to you, if they're a high-risk person or not. So let me clarify one thing, because one of the things that I find of concern, and and as you're talking about, let's say, for example, I have COVID, but I have either mild or I'm even non-symptomatic. Can my strain of COVID, as it were, even though I'm not showing symptoms, can it turn into major symptoms for these high-risk people if I spread this this version that I have, even though I don't have symptoms. Exactly. Because you might be a, a healthy 
25 or 30 year old, no comorbidity, morbidities, no other risk factors. And you might have no or very, very mild symptoms, but you can sh- still shed those virus particles that then can be picked up by somebody that is uh, in a higher risk category. And that's what the concern is, is who are you spreading this to? And now I've heard a lot of information out uh, in the, in the web, on the web, on radio shows, on the TV about the effectiveness of masks. They say, oh, there's no studies that show the effectiveness of masks. Well, there are actually studies. There's hundreds and hundreds of studies dating back the last 10, 15 years. Well, you'll say, well, we didn't have COVID the last 10, 15 years, but we did have influenza. And there's many studies looking at, well, how effective are masks at present, preventing upper respiratory infections, including influenza? And the studies are pretty, pretty good at showing that masks can be effective at preventing upper respiratory, the spread of upper respiratory infections, COVID being an example of one. So we'll we'll come back to that because that's definitely a question that's on my list. I just want to reintroduce you, Dr. Ted Pauline. You are a PhD, a doctor. You've had a lot of experience in research. You you have been watching this COVID very carefully. And so one of the one of the concerns that I had, and that's part of the reason why I wanted you on the program, is is there is, as you just mentioned, a lot of information out there. Who do you go to trust? And so I guess I'm trusting someone. That's why I'm talking to you. He's got a PhD. He's been a doctor. He's got a lot of experience in terms of research and looking at statistical analysis. So I just want to say, again, thank you for your time, and I appreciate that. Let's go back to masks, and let's talk about how this virus is spread. The other the other changing landscape about this virus seems to be, okay, it can be transmitted on surfaces. Okay, maybe it's not transmitted on surfaces as much as we thought it was. And so there's been some changing information here and there. But it does seem that the information that at least is communicated is that it is consistently transmitted by our speaking, our breathing. That's the water vapor that comes out of our mouth. Would you speak yep. to that? And that's that, again, yeah. is why we're talking about masks. So let's talk for a bit about how this virus is spread and why masks are recommended. Yeah. And, and let me just back up a little bit and say, because this is a new virus, there's, we're always learning more about it. And so that's why information changes. I mean, we know more about this virus now than we did in March. And so uh, you have to look at, well, when, when was this information collected? How was it analyzed? At what time point in this pandemic did, did the information become available? And that's what's confusing to people. It's confusing to us in, in the medical field because, because it's changing, because as we learn more, we understand more, but that may change what ha- our interpretation of data from a, uh, the you know a previous month or two. So what we're seeing is that the virus does appear to be able to live on surfaces, but its ability to live on a surface is uh, much shorter than its ability to, uh, in being able to transmit it uh, in the air. Uh, and you know its surface capability depends on what surface it's on. I mean, the, the evidence shows that on, on hard surfaces, it can be cleaned easily, 
killed, disinfected very quickly and may only be able to be on the surface for minutes to hours. Um, whereas on soft surfaces that aren't cleaned as easily, it may exist for a couple days. But that doesn't seem to be the major route for transmitting this. As you said, it's probably water droplets in expelled air from, from people to people. And there's still, um, it's not clear if it's just water droplets or what we call aerolized moisture that it can travel in. And aerosolized particles are much, much smaller than water droplets. And it's, and it's still, I, I think the, the um, evidence is still a little blurry on whether or not it can be well transmitted in aerosolized particles in the community. We know in a hospital setting that if you're doing a high-risk procedure, so you're doing a procedure where you are actually creating aerosol particles, and that's like doing a bronchoscopy where you're actually taking a scope and looking down into a patient's lungs, that creates these very small particles. And we know that the virus can be expelled in those. And so in healthcare, we need to be extremely protected, and we're doing these high-risk procedures. But the likelihood that it's aerosolized out in the community is probably much smaller. We're not doing those high-risk procedures as you're walking around the community. But you are breathing out droplets of water that contain the virus particle. And is there, are there ways to contain and prevent those virus particles that are in those droplets from getting from one person to the other? And that's where masks can be effective. They're not 100% effective. Even in hospital sitting settings, the most highly effective masks are these what are called n 95 and if they're worn in the hospital 100% of the time, the studies show that healthcare personnel can drop their rate of, of passing it along by nearly 100%. It's not always 100%. It's in that 95 to 99% rate. So let me uh, let me just interrupt yeah. just for a moment because I sure. you know I appreciate the the fact that you're talking about the hospital setting because that's certainly a measurable environment where you can look at the the, the results. I, right. I am thinking in the real world as you were talking about. Okay, so and and I appreciate the fact that you pointed out that if if nurses or doctors are wearing their medical grade masks, you can reduce it almost by hundred percent. But let's bring it to the real world. Right. You, you and me walking in the supermarket wearing our our cloth cotton masks, perhaps, and there are various styles and and uh, you know thicknesses. Uh, talk about what do you think are the effectiveness of wearing those kind of masks out yep. in public. And I just read a study, and this is a study, it's a, it's a laboratory study. So, you know, it's not necessarily in the real world, but in, in the early part of these kind of infections, we have to do laboratory studies. And then this laboratory study looked at the effectiveness of, of the surgical type masks. Those are those blue ones you see people wearing around. Not, not these highly effective respiratory, respiratory type ones that are the N95, but just the blue masks compared to a single cotton layer mask or a double cotton layer mask. And if and here's the big if. If you wear these as you're supposed to, 
100% of the time, the laboratory study, and what, what, what I mean by the laboratory study is, you know, they study it under controlled conditions of looking at how many virus particles in droplets can be detected on expelled air on the other side of the mass. So on the, on the, on the one you're talking to, how many virus particles get out to the person you're talking to if you're wearing a mask. And then how many virus particles can get through the mask to you to breathing in the air. And I realize a, a laboratory study isn't a real world out in the community study, but it gives us an idea if it's war, if the mask is worn 100% of the time, 100% appropriately. In other words, you're not pulling it down, you're not touching it all the time, you're washing your hands consistently. What it showed is a two-layer cotton mask is almost as effective as the blue surgical mask. Mm, that's pretty amazing. Dr. Pauline, I, I, I'm watching the clock, and I wish it wasn't ticking because uh, there seems to be so much. So I'm, I'm just going to sort of throw everything else in the basket and put it this way. There's yeah. uh, the, the, I think it was both the governor and the mayor, Denver's mayor, but for sure the mayor, who said, you know, there are a lot of people who just are disregarding the science. They're kind of going by opinion. They're going by what they're reading on the Internet, which isn't necessarily accurate information. We've got to stop the spread of this they were talking about. It's up statewide. Uh, people are gathering. They seem to be disregarding the recommendation. So take the next four minutes and speak to an audience to say from your hearts, knowing what you know scientifically about this virus, how do we, how do we stop the spread? How do we protect other people? What do we do in terms of a citizen being a good citizen to another citizen? I'm just going to let you express your, your thoughts on that. Well, one of the things is, is we need, it is, it is a serious disease. It's, more serious in some high-risk patients. As, as a Christian, as a conscientious Christian, I, I am to look out for my neighbor. And if my neighbor, and this is your neighbor in this context, could be the person in the grocery store. If I am to watch out for my neighbor and be conscientious, I don't know if they're high-risk or not. So I need to be protective of not only myself, but of them. I think as it comes down to our own families, maybe, you know, as we get close to Thanksgiving here, are we able to gather with our loved ones together? And again, you have to look at that within the context of your own family. Do you have high-risk people? Are you, are you wearing masks appropriately? Are you disinfecting surfaces appropriately? Are you washing your hands appropriately? So, there's a difference between, I think, the community as large and our families in particular. And that's where individual decisions have to be made. Um, as far as our state going into another lockdown, I think we need to be more circumspect on that and saying maybe we need to be better at looking at how we're dealing with high-risk groups being more effective at doing that uh, prevention than just a broad lockdown. And, and that's my view on this. Is, is it right to lock down the schools where the infection rate among children is very, very low, rather than looking at more of a uh, just a, a blanket lockdown of everybody? 
That is a harder question to answer, but I think we know more now, so we're able to direct how we direct our resources better. And I'm, I'm just not seeing that happening as effectively as it could. Mm. Let me, uh, as an elder in a church who's making decisions about what our congregation will do in terms of gathering, wearing masks, not wearing masks, I'm just curious your take as a doctor on that. And again, this is Dr. Ted Pauline. And doctor, what do you think about that? I think, well, the longer you spend in close proximity in an indoor setting, the higher the risk is. So I think, do we, do we, forbid having those gatherings? I would say no. I think we just limit the time period, the closeness of contact, and because of my reading of the literature, yes, masks are effective. I think we should be using masks in those situations. But to like the new order is going from 175 people down to 50 people in a, in a worship center, whereas in a sporting center, you can have a still have a hundred people. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I, I believe we should be able to allow uh, church gatherings. We just need to be very prudent about how many people and um, how long and the, the proximity of each person to each other. Dr. Ted Pauline, again, the clock ticked away, and I wish we had time to talk more about this vital issue, but I just want to say thank you, Dr. Ted Pauline, for being a part of Life in Colorado.